0: Hey, what's up you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week three in a message series called The Jealous Heart of God. And we've been talking about how it's a bit of a weird thing, how in the Bible, God identifies himself to us as a jealous God. just feels weird. We don't revere jealousy. We don't love jealous people. Nobody here aspires to become more jealous. God's other attributes are a little bit more desirable to us. We want to be more loving. We want to be more generous and and giving. We want to be more forgiving. We want to be more full of grace and patience. But this jealousy thing, it's a little weird. And so we've been talking for the last two weeks about how jealousy speaks to passion. God has initiated with you. God has, with every one of you, whether you realize it or not, God has initiated a relationship. God has walked across the dance floor and said, I would like to be in your life. The response is now up to you. What are you going to do with that invitation? That's the question that's been offered to each of us. So We've been studying how, over the last couple of weeks, our tendency with God's invitation is to keep God at arm's distance. Our preference is that we be friends with God instead of in this burning, passionate, head-over-heels love affair with God. And our, our model as we kind of walked through that was Peter's restoration. Uh, you know, you guys, I think, all know or maybe you don't if you're new or newer to church, that the night before the crucifixion, Peter, the apostle Peter, denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And there's another passage later, uh, the the very last verse of John's gospel, where Jesus is restoring Peter. He's, He's kind of welcoming him back in the fold. Jesus is clearing the decks with Peter, and he's inviting him in, inviting him back into a relationship. Peter, at this moment, is feeling terribly awkward. He knows what he did. He knows how he hurt Jesus. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed of himself. And and so he's very cautious with his words. Jesus, in this instance, says, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus asks him two more times, do you love me? And every time Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what we kind of uncovered over the last couple of weeks is that they're actually using different words. The Greek language is far more descriptive than the English language. The Greek, Greek, ancient Greek, is far more nuanced when it comes to the word love. So what we're finding is, in the Greek, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me with agape, a burning, passionate, holy love? And what Peter responds with is, I love you with phileo. I love you like a brother. I love you like a friend. And this exchange goes back and forth three times, and Peter never returns the word that Jesus uses. He never He never says, yes, Lord, I love you with that burning, passionate love. He continues to keep Jesus at arm's length. He talks to him through the, through the lenses of the love of a friend. And we've asked the question, why? Now, in Peter's instance, I believe, it's because he didn't want to run his mouth again. Peter didn't want to over-promise and underdeliver deliver yet again. Peter vividly remembers the failure that he just went through. He vividly remembers, hey, I made promises to Jesus. Peter was all like, I'm your ride or die. I will never leave your side. You could count on me forever. And like that night, <clears throat> excuse me, that night, he denied that he knew Jesus. So when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with a godly, passionate love? All Peter wants to do is say yes, but he doesn't, want, he doesn't want to make a fool of himself again. He learned the limits of his own humanity. Some of you, maybe that's where you are today, but I don't think so. Some of you maybe, but for most of us, no. Some of you might be here, and that's where you are. You've made big promises to God, and you have said I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to have my whole life, and I'm going to do exactly what you called me to do. Have you ever, haven't you ever prayed a prayer like that? Anybody ever played, prayed a foxhole prayer? You know what a foxhole prayer is. Foxhole prayers go like this: Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, please, 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 don't let her be pregnant. <laughs> God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God! Please don't let me get arrested. God, oh God, oh God! Please, please, please! You got to get me out of this. Like, if you do, I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. I'll give away all my money. I'll like, I'll become a priest. I'll de- like, I'll, I'll do whatever. Like, those are foxhole prayers. Some of you have made. Maybe you've prayed big prayers to God, and then you know the situation resolves itself, and you kind of. Can we talk about that every Sunday thing? Can we can we renegotiate now that things are a little better? You've done that, and so maybe today you don't want to reinitiate with some big promise, and it's in your nature to go, let me not overpromise and underdeliver. But I think probably for most of us, it is simply that we prefer to have God on our terms. We want God on our terms. We want God in our life. Oh yeah, I love you too, just just not in that way. I still love you, just not in that way. I want you in my, let's, let's still be friends. Yeah, friends is better, right? I want you in my life, but here's the thing. You're asking for all of me, and this whole thing where, like, you died on the cross to ransom me, to pay for all of my sins, and now I'm forgiven for all my sins. Like, that's, oh, my gosh, that's wonderful. It's so amazing. God, wow. Jesus, oh, my gosh. What you've done for me, wow. But it's like you're kind of asking for all of me, and I, like, totally want to respond to you, but I really prefer to keep things on my terms, which is precisely what you're saying to somebody who initiates a romantic relationship with you and to whom you feel simply the feelings of a friend. Yeah, I like you, I might even say I love you, just not in that way. I prefer to keep things on my terms. And you are, here's here's the teaching point today, I'm just gonna jump right into it. You are free to do that. God gave you free will. The love of God is as miraculous as it is because we have the opportunity to respond. God could have just said, I mean, God is omnipotent and we were created in his image and he could have just said, love me, done. And that would have been it. He gives you free will. So you don't have to respond with that word agape. You don't have to come back to him with this passionate love. You can keep him at arm's distance. You can keep God in the friend zone. And my teaching point, I'm just gonna jump to the end of it now, is not, if you do that, you're a bad person. I'm not gonna hit you with shame on you. How dare you, how could you? I'm just not gonna hit you with that. First of all, because I've done that myself. What I'm gonna hit you with this morning is this. If you're keeping God at arm's distance, you're missing out. You settled. You settled. Because letting God in and engaging your life that way with God, with that holy, passionate love, is the root, the root, the surefire root to a fully satisfied, realized, switched on you. And that other way, where you keep God at arm's distance because you want things on your terms, that is how you end up miserable. This is from, I'm going to read you a passage now. This is. This is a text thousands of years old. It's from the prophet Isaiah. It's a lengthy text. I'm going to make a few comments during it, but stay with me, okay? Isaiah chapter 44, beginning at verse 9. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, So they're all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own god, an idol that cannot help him one bit? The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood. He draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it In a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. So this is a long passage, but here's what you got. I mean, this is the prophet Isaiah addressing a culture where people are actually manufacturing their own God's because it's in people's nature to worship something and it was it was done that way thousands of years ago they would manufacture they would shape something and form it into a God that I guess to them represented something and they would worship it and the prophet Isaiah is like this is crazy talk this is crazy you cut down a tree you cook your dinner with part of it, you, cook, you make yourself warm with part of it, you make furniture with part of it, and then with part of it, you, you carve an idol and worship it? Like, the prophet Isaiah actually broke the, fo- fo- the fourth wall there in verse 15, did you catch it? He said, yes, it's true. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, these people are actually doing this. It's lunacy, it's nuts. I, I can't, I can't fathom how, no, and we, of course, are far more sophisticated We don't do such silly things anymore, do we? We don't worship idols that we've made anymore, right? These things surely do not compete with our affection for God. Or do they? Or are we still doing the same stuff they were doing thousands of years ago? Or is humanity simply repeating what is in its pathology to repeat? When I was a kid, uh, you know, my, my family didn't go out to dinner all that much. You know, uh, My dad wasn't, just, wasn't much of a restaurant guy. And I feel like people just didn't go out that much in the, in the 80s as much as they do now. My kids are spoiled that way. You know? Back in the day, but we would bring in takeout once in a while. You know, once, in one, once every couple of weeks there'd be some Chinese food or some pizza or something. Uh, and once in a while, fast food, not a lot, but once in a while. My dad was always more of a Burger King guy. But from time to time, we'd get to go to McDonald's. And if you were a kid in the 70s or 80s, you bore witness to the greatest marketing campaign that has ever been launched on a population in the history of marketing campaigns. You, if you were a kid during the 70s or 80s, were witness to the advent of the Happy Meal. Oh, how we know the Happy Meal, kids from the 70s and 80s. What's in the Happy Meal? Yeah, let's talk about that, right? Four chicken nuggets, as if that's enough for any human of any size. Small fries, I mean micro fries, little tiny bag of French fries. And there were no, there was none of this, oh, let's have healthier options, let's give kids apple slices, let's have yogurt. There was none of that. You got fries. That's why we all look the way we do. Okay, so fries. A small drink. And of course... A toy. Oh, the toy. Manufactured specifically to break the instant you leave the restaurant. <laughs> Nobody still has their toys from when they were, from their Happy Meals. Nobody. All folded up in this cardboard lunch pail called a Happy Meal. Now, no kid, when you're a kid, You're not thinking philosophical thoughts, right? You're not, no kid went to their parents in the 70s, or I never went to my mom or dad and said, Mother, Father, I've been pondering my existential satisfaction. And I think that if I could have a happy meal, I would be truly happy. I would achieve satisfaction in some way, and, and nobody ever says that. No, no kid ever thinks that. But have you ever seen a kid unglued, come unglued because they couldn't have a happy meal? Yeah, yeah. some of you, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Kids are still—they don't have happy meals anymore. I'm told they're going—they may bring them back, but—but but, I, I don't want it. But—but but, keep it. But kids today still come unglued if they can't have the object of their desire right? The happy meal is like the be-all, end-all of existence. I have to have this. I must have this happy meal or I'm just going to lose my ever-loving mind. All the other kids got to have a happy meal. And it's so, it was done so brilliantly. It's just a meal that's going to make you happy. And isn't that really just what we all want in life, just to be happy, to find a little peace and to live happy? Isn't that kind of what we're after? Yeah. So, my thinking on this is is that most of us are still chasing happy meals. The happy meals just got bigger and more expensive as time went on. Yes? The happy meals just got bigger and more expensive. Many of us live our lives fixated on something. That happy meal, whatever it might be, And what might it be for you? What's the happy meal? What's the thing that you just think, if I could just, if I could have that, then I would be happy. What's going on in your head? Where are you on this? Come on, let's, get honest with me for a minute. Get honest with yourself. I know this conversation makes you uncomfortable. I know you'd rather be talking about something else. But come on, go with me. Enter into this. What is it? Is it a car? Some of you that's like your your car has been so unreliable for so long. I know what that's like. You've been driving. You've been driving. You know that that box. And you know what? For so long, you just you can't wait to get rid of it. You're just thinking, oh, if I can just have this car or that car. That's right. I can have this car or that car. Woo! I just would want that. For some of you, it's uh, a home of your own. You know. If you could just get out of your parents' basement. Well, here's how it goes. If I could just get out of my parents' house. Your parents, by the way, are upstairs praying the same prayer. <laughs> God, please make a way where there is no way. If I could just get out of my parents' house have an apartment of my own. And then it's if we could just get a two-bedroom apartment, we'd be so much better. And then if we just get a three-bedroom apartment, we'd have more room. Then if we just get a condo, we'd be fine. If we could just oh, if we could just own a house, like just a little starter home would be great. Once we get the starter home, then it's oh, like that's great. And there's there are come on with each step, come on come with me. You know this is true, don't you? With each step, there are moments of happiness. It's not that the happy meal doesn't bring any happiness. The happy meal actually did deliver what it promised to deliver. It made you happy, just not for long. You learned as a kid, didn't you? You never pronounced it. You never had the vocabulary for it, but you learned when you were a kid the the primary difference between happiness and joy. You learned about happiness. You didn't know a lot about joy just yet though, did you? Because you got the happy, the thing made you happy. You got out of your parents' house, happy. Got the apartment, happy. Got the two bedroom, happy. Three bedroom, happy. Starter home, happy. Larger home, happy. Beach house? Vacation house, second property in Florida, so you can do the snowbird thing. First class ticket instead of a, an economy ticket. The other car, the new thing. It might not be an object. Is it that promotion at work? Is, that, is it that financial plateau? Is it that next sexual conquest? What is it? What's the happy meal? What are you focusing on? Because whatever it is, if it is not a relationship with the God who made you, it is a carved idol, something you made. Something that has come your way that you're now fixated on because you want to keep God at arm's distance because what you want is God and the other thing. You want, you're saying, God, yeah, I like you. I, I even love you, but not like that. Let's just keep you in your lane because I really want to pursue all this other stuff. And it is not wrong to pursue all this other stuff. That, it's just that that other stuff is never going to fill your soul. Now listen up and listen good because there are plenty of people who love Jesus with their whole heart and have the larger, the better apartment, the bigger thing, the beach house, the second house, the, the, the plane, the what, all the stuff. Plenty of people that have all that stuff. There's also plenty of people that don't have any of that stuff and still love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and live a, a switched-on, joyful, passionate life. Everybody with me? What's the difference? A couple verses later. Book of Isaiah, thousands of years ago, calling it with perfect precision here in 2022. Verse 20. The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet, he cannot bring himself to ask is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? The poor, deluded fool. I'm going to tell you something. I, there are things I hope God says about me in my life. There are things I hope God says about me. There are things I'd like for God to say in describing me. You know, good man good pastor, loving father, generous person. I hope God doesn't ever look at me and go, poor deluded fool. This is a descriptor. Someone's being described in this. Have the courage to ask if it's you. The poor deluded fool, deluded, under a delusion, feeds on ashes. There's a banquet nearby. There's God's feast is nearby. But the fool says, "Mm, I don't trust it. I don't know if I'm going to like my life if God has all of it. I'm not sure I'm going to be a satisfied person. I'm not sure it's going to be who I really want to be if I'm loving God with all of my life. If I really make my life about honoring him and loving others, and serving the world around me, I don't know if I'm ever going to get what I really want. So I'm going to eat some of this, these cold ashes from the fireplace now. He deludes himself, the guy in the text. He feeds on ashes. Why? Not because he's convinced they're better. Listen up. Not because he's convinced they're better. Because he cannot bring himself to ask. He doesn't have the courage to ask, am I living my life on purpose or am I just living my life by accident? Is this thing I'm holding in my hand a lie? Am I just chasing happy meals? He doesn't have the courage to ask. Because he knows if he asks, he might have to make changes. He knows if he asks, he might have to change a few things around. It's so much easier to just go, I don't have time to think about that, I'm busy. How many of you are there today? I'm asking you to think philosophical thoughts. You're like, dude, I got bills to pay. I got shopping to do. It's the holidays and it's crazy. And I, eh. I get it. I understand. I'm asking a lot of you to think these theological thoughts, but listen up and don't miss this. You're on the hook for your life. Your life is yours. Your life is a gift from God, and you're accountable with how you spend it. You're accountable to God with what you do with your days. And you could spend your whole life. Oh, how many people do? How tragic. How many people spend their whole life just chasing happy meals? all the way to the grave, chasing another Happy Meal, another thing. You're free to do that, but if you do, you settled. You settled. You're missing out on all the best things in life. You're missing out on on the joy, the passion, that that knowledge that you're doing something bigger, that you were meant for more than consumption, that you were meant for more than just taking things in, that you were meant for more than just a bigger, more expensive, more exotic happy meal, that you were put on this planet to honor God with your days, to love the world around you, to serve the people around you. You start living like that, You get switched on. Your life becomes a passionate adventure. And you know what? Often, not always, but often, that other stuff comes your way anyway. God has a wonderful way of blessing people who are all his. Walk with, let me break it down real simple. Walk with him and make your life his. The happy meal may come, but you'll be happy either way. Make your life all about you and keep God at arm's distance and keep God in the friend zone. You'll find the happy meal and it'll just make you miserable once you have it. The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He's trusting in something that can bring him no help at all because he cannot bring himself to ask, is this thing I'm holding in my hand a lie? We've got one more week in the jealous heart of God. We're going to pick it up right from here. Next Sunday, I know it's a busy week. Take a minute this week and ask what your life is really about. No, no better time than the holidays to do a little, uh, make a few changes and, and ponder where you're, what you're aiming at. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you. We do. And we're so grateful. Uh, that we get to, to connect with you and talk with you, and we're so glad that we have your word to nudge us. And the, the prophet Isaiah from so long ago calling it with such precision in the here and now, the way we just tend to, to look for these things that can bring us no help at all, that, that offer a quick flash Of happiness, a quick serotonin burst to to ease whatever discomfort we might be in, but we fall right back into what's ailing us. Father, only in you is our true satisfaction found. Will you wake us up to that fact? Will you give... Father, we need a little help. Would you give us the courage to ask the question? Give us guts enough and courage enough to ask what our lives are really about, that we might spend our days pursuing you, honoring you, loving the world around us and serving the world around us, Father, because we know, we know in our hearts, only therein are we truly satisfied. May that be true in my life, Father, and may that be true in all our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.